We'll continue our series, Godfidence, and uh, today we're in Philippians chapter 3. And uh, in Philippians chapter 3, Paul is, reminder, Paul is in prison, and so his mortality is right in front of his eyes. And so as he's thinking about the end of life and he's thinking, hey, this is possibly the last things that I get to say to people, Paul is writing this in in Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 21. Now, usually I don't throw this many verses at you, and we may or may not get through all 21 verses, okay? So if we don't, uh, you get to study on your own, and i got some notes there for you, all right? So we're going to be starting in Philippians chapter 3, looking at verse 1. And again, our idea over this last few weeks and today is confidence, which is placing our confidence in God, placing our confidence in Christ, and the work that he did upon the cross is sufficient for our salvation, sufficient for our life. And so that Paul, even in first, verse 1 of chapter 3, as Paul's thinking about this, he's reminding the people of his audience that though life may be difficult, some may say heck in a handbasket, or as Paul's situation, you are in prison, even despite your circumstances, you can rejoice. And so here in verse 1, Paul reminds his audience of that, the Philippians, and also for us, is that sometimes life doesn't go the way that we're expecting it to go, but... In spite of our circumstances, we can still rejoice because we have salvation in Christ Jesus. That's our foundation in how we do life. So in verse 1, it says, Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. Again, that's that idea. No matter what circumstances are happening, I can have joy. And then he goes on. He says, I never tired of telling you these things. And so what we'll see over the next few verses, the things that Paul doesn't tire of telling us is his faith story and of us understanding that if we imitate him, we're imitating Christ because he knows Christ. He's gnosko. He's experienced Christ. He's in covenant with Christ. And he gives us this marriage illustration that as two become one, there's an intimacy in marriage. And there's this bond that happens. And literally that as we come to know Christ, we jump into the deep end with him and we are immersed with him. And so Paul is saying, I have immersed myself in Jesus in such a way that when you look at me, I'm hoping that you see Christ in me. Therefore, I can say, as he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so he's about to tell us his faith story. He's going to tell us his past. He's going to tell us his present. He's going to tell us what he hopes for the future. And he's even going to offer a plea for us. But before he does that, he describes what's happening, that there are two groups of people that are attacking the Christians in Philippi. There are two groups that are intentionally trying to drag down those Christians and destroy their faith. And the first group that we'll see in verse 2 is he describes them as dogs. All right? He says, watch out for these dogs, those people who are evil, who do evil things and mutilate you, who say you must be circumcised in order to be saved. And so what he's saying is dogs are not like the dogs that we have today. Now today, this is one of the growing industries in the world. If you need an investment advice, invest in pet whatever you want to get into because you're spending a lot of money for organic stuff for your Fido. You know what I mean? And in those days, we didn't have dogs. They, they didn't have dogs. They didn't domesticate them. They didn't keep them in their house. They weren't feeding them organic chips and all that kind of stuff. They weren't for sure taking them to the vet, all those different things. There were, dogs were there. They were running around. They were scoundrels. They were scavengers. They would even, Scripture says, they would even return to their own vomit. Sounds exciting, right? And so that is what Paul is drawing that image. He's saying, listen, 
These people that I'm about to tell you about, that is the image that I want you to get ahead in your head, is these people are dogs. And these dogs are the religious people of the day known as Judaizers. The Judaizers were a group that was infiltrating the New Testament beginning church and was saying to them, to become a true follower of Jesus, you need to first become a Jew, a full-blooded, full-circumcised Jew before you become a Christian. That that was the, the way that they were giving the path to salvation. They were changing the gospel for that way. And Paul is saying, listen, that is what the dog, we, they are changing salvation. And I want you to understand that that is what dogs, they are scoundrels trying to drag you into this mess and you need to run away from it. So that's the first group that Paul is talking about is these Judaizers and the religious people. That's our natural tendency as humans to tack on things to the gospel because we struggle with free. We struggle with the idea that God would love us and offer us salvation for free. And we struggle with this idea of, does God really know me? Does God really understand the depths of my depravity, the depths of my sin, the depths of my wickedness, the depths of the thoughts that I have, the things that I've done? And the answer is yes. And he still chose you that when he was on the cross, he looked out at you and said, you are enough for me in the state that you are in. But we continually struggle with it. And the lie from the deceiver, Satan, is we have to earn our salvation. So there's always going to be ways that people are going to come along from the beginning to the end of eternity. People will come along and try to teach us that there are extra things to do to earn salvation. And so Paul is saying those people are dogs. There's religious people. They're dogs. They're trying to make you eat vomit and think that it is good. And it is not. And these evil workers are people, again, these Judaizers, that you could follow the letter of the law, that you could literally become circumcised. And when you become circumcised, that that would make you a Jew, then also a Gentile. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's a fun little study on your own, okay? And so Paul is saying, don't be following the dogs, the religious people. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Imitate me as I follow Jesus. Jump down to verses 18 and 19. He gives us two people to watch out for, the religious people, and then those people that are outside the church that are kind of going, na 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 you can't do these things. Y'all have that as a young person, or sometimes you see people say, hey, because you're a Christian, you can't do this. Because you're a Christian, you can't do this. Or some of you have grown up Baptist. Because you're Baptist, you can't do this. Because you're X, you can't do these things. And so they're kind of saying, look, the life is better on this side of the fence, and they want to draw you into this. Their misery, there's there's misery, and they're trying to draw you into that. So verses 18 and 19, Paul reminds us, and he says, hey, I've told you before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows that what? They are literally enemies of the cross of Christ, that they are against the very things of Christ, and so they're enemies of him, and what does their conduct show? What is exactly their conduct? I don't know about you, but I am short-sighted. I, I cannot see. If I don't have my contacts in or my glasses in, like I've got to have stuff like right here in front of me. And when you have stuff like this close in front of you, you can't see far ahead and you can't see to the side. And so here Paul is drawing that type of illustration. He says those that are enemies of the cross, their conduct is as people that are short-sighted, that they've brought the things that they want, when they want it, how they want it, why they want it, to the forefront, and it's only there in front of them. Their eyesight is not long-term, thinking heavenly, like a citizen of heaven. Their citizenship is here, and so they're only for themselves and about themselves. 
And so the enemies of the cross are those that they have short-sighted vision, and so therefore their appetite is their God. In other words, I want what I want, when I want it, why I want it, how I want it. It doesn't, doesn't matter to me what it costs because it's all about this right here. So much so that they'll brag about it. None of you have seen it on Facebook or Instagram or Snapchat or something. Sometimes people do stupid stuff and they post it, don't they? And that's just Paul saying, listen, they are showing their shame before everyone else. And so Paul is saying they're boasting about their short-sightedness in the world. People are looking and saying, man, you're crazy. What are you doing? And Paul is saying, listen, there are people that are doing that, and they're trying to draw you in and say this is the life. And Paul says, listen, don't follow that. Don't fall into the trap of the ultra-religious people that say you can do this, this, and this, and you can prove that you're of worth. But then also don't jump into that group where they're saying, hey, listen, jump into this, and this is what the life is. In reality, they're miserable people, but they want you to join them so that there's a party and misery together. And Paul says those are the people to watch out for. But as truly circumcised, those that have met Jesus and been transformed by him, this is the characteristics of them. Look at the next verse, verse 4. Sorry, I'm operating this, okay? Verse 4, maybe. Oh, there we go, verse 3. My bad. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. So here Paul says, those that are truly circumcised, the first thing that's a characteristic of them is they worship by Spirit. So we see in John chapter 4 that Jesus shows up to the Samaritan woman, and he says, those that are followers of me will worship me by Spirit and in truth. And this is the deal, is that that moment that we say yes to Jesus and what he did on the cross, there's this thing that happens and that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, takes residence with inside of us. And in that moment that the Spirit of God takes residence inside of us, that is in that moment we are able to now commune with God. Our soul has longed for this communion with God since the Garden of Eden in the fall. And so each one of us have longed for that. And that moment that we understand that What Christ did on the cross for us, the sacrifice that he made for us, was sufficient for salvation. And we say yes and receive it. That's the difficult thing, to receive the free gift. When we receive that free gift, the Holy Spirit then takes residence inside of us, and we are now the temple of the living God. And so, therefore, everywhere we go is a place of worship. Because you are a temple of the living God. So when you go to work, when you go to school, when you go to all the different places, God has taken residence with inside of you, and you are a temple of the living God. The Spirit of God resides with inside of you. And our journey now from that moment of saying yes is being able to listen to and be obedient to the voice of God. To be able to discern the truth from the lies that the lies that we still hold on to that we've been trained to get rid of those things and to hear the voice of God. Now this happens at our house in this way. When we go to different stores, I've told this before, but it's so poignant, is whenever we go to stores at our house, if we get separated, the boss of our house has a way to get in touch with us. And it goes like this, psst. And she speaks to us, and I can hear her from across ATB or across Target or across Walmart. Now, I choose whether I'm going to listen to that voice or not. My children have learned to choose when they're going to listen to that voice or not. And usually my children and myself are together choosing to not listen to that voice, okay? And so that is our journey as well with the Spirit of God is the Spirit speaks to us 
And as the scripture says, many times it's in a still small voice. And so amongst the craziness of life, we have to be attuned to listen to the spirit so we can hear it and respond and obey. And so those that are truly circumcised, that are followers of Jesus, the first thing is that we are hearing from and responding to the Spirit of God. And we can be obedient. So even amidst the craziness, we hear that voice. Now, we can still choose to obey it or not, but that's the part of us growing and saying, you know, we learn that if you really want the best groceries, you better be over there where Mama's at. And so you can get that stuff and you become obedient to those things in the Spirit of God in the same way. So those that are truly circumcised have a relationship with Jesus are being transformed because the Spirit of God takes residence. Now here's why this whole series is based on this next part. We therefore then rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. That word rely, probably the better translation is boast. We boast in what Jesus has done for us. In other words, Paul is saying all of the effort that you have, all the things that you have, you can boast in those things, but those things will go away. The things for us as followers of Jesus, the main thing that we should be boasting is in what Christ has done for us. And Paul will talk about a little bit later on that all the other things that we have are literally trash or dung compared to what Christ has done for us, that we have our confidence and we boast in, we lift up what Christ has done for us. And then we also see that as Paul finishes up that thought, he says we have no confidence in our human effort. That as we understand that what, how amazed we should be by God's grace for us, that we begin to understand that all the things that we try to do or try not to do, our behavior modification plan that we've been on, does nothing for us, but Jesus himself modifies us and changes us from the inside out. And so Paul says, listen, there are those on the outside that are trying to tell you to do these things and this thing, and others on the outside that are telling you, hey, life is better over here. I'm telling you true life is found in the person of Jesus and of growing in and knowing him. That is what it means to be truly circumcised. Our confidence is in him. Look at Jeremiah chapter 9. Verse 23 and 24 kind of follows that out. It says, this is what the Lord says. Don't let the wise boast in their wisdom or the powerful boast in their power or the rich boast in their riches, which is human, right? This is what we do as humans. However, but those who wish to boast should boast in this alone, that they truly know me. Again, this gnosko, this jumping in full experience knowing that they truly know me and understand me. There's this relational understanding that I am the Lord and who demonstrates unfailing love and who brings justice and righteousness to the earth and that delight, I delight in these things. The Lord has spoken. So here Paul is drawing back for us this image of what it means for us to, to rejoice in and to worship in and this is what we should be boasting in. That Paul says, hey, listen, there's all these other things that we have a tendency to kind of lift up and to prove that we're worth and have value. And Paul says all of those things are done, boast in who Christ is in Christ alone. Verse 4. Now here Paul is giving us 
his life story, and he's kind of putting it in context with uh, verse 3. So in verse 3, he's kind of saying, listen, boast in the Lord. He's saying if anyone could have opportunity to be praised and saying he's the one that qualifies for salvation, if anyone can stack up their achievements and say there's one person of all of history besides Jesus that qualifies for salvation, it is Paul himself, okay? And so he's about to give us all of his qualifications, starting in verse 4. Though I could have confidence in my own effort, if anyone could, indeed, if others have reason for confidence over their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old, following the law. Every male Jew born after eight days was circumcised. He went to the, to the house, the rabbi, and they would circumcise him. And it's a symbolic act of what they hoped would happen on the inside. He was a pure-blooded citizen of Israel, that he was a member of the tribe of Benjamin. So if you know your history a little bit, there are 12 tribes of Israel. But at one point in history, those tribes separated, and 10 tribes became the northern kingdom, and two tribes became the southern kingdom. And God himself said, the two tribes in the south are the ones that remained faithful to me, and the tribe of Benjamin is one of those. And so Paul is talking to his Jewish audience, and he's saying, listen, if anyone, I, there's those 10 tribes. Some of you are part of those 10 tribes, and you've already ostracized yourself. You've lost those qualifications. I'm one of the s- smaller tribes that are part of that. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrew if there ever was one. Also, he was a Pharisee, so he followed the law to the T. He did everything that you could possibly do, and there was law upon law upon law, and Paul knew them and was obedient to them. He was zealous, so zealous that he harshly persecuted the church. As a matter of fact, we know that he was there holding the cloaks of others when Stephen was stoned. He was there. He had certificates. He was going around, and he was persecuting the early church and early Christians. He was not only a Jew of all Jews, but he was such a zealous Jew, he was persecuting other Christians, saying, listen, if anyone qualified for salvation outside of the gospel, I am it. He was the brightest student of the day. He was the top student. If you think of whatever the the best school is in the world studying Judaism, Paul was it. He was magna cum laude. He was the number one graduate. He was valedictorian. Everyone knew that Paul knew his stuff. And God reached down and transformed his heart and mind on the way to Damascus. And it radically changed what happened in history because he was ready to receive the gospel. And Paul says, listen, if there was anyone ever qualified outside of the gospel to have salvation from God, it is me. Verse 7, I once thought all those things that I had, all of the qualifications were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. That as he began to understand what Christ had given him, all of those qualifications fell by the wayside. And he says, listen, verse 8, he gives us, very graphic description of what that is. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ. Now, again, this is a word that we've talked about over the last few weeks and the last few months, and it seems like every other week we're talking about this, this idea of knowing. And we are in a culture that values education. We value that you go get your high school degree that, you know, most people now graduate. And then we're telling you, hey, go off and get a four-year degree, get a master's degree, get a Ph.D., get a whatever. And we value education. And education is important. It's a very important thing. However, knowledge does not necessarily equal what we need to fully know about something. And so here Paul is talking about that. Paul is saying to us to just have intellectual knowledge of 
who Jesus is, of who God is, is not enough. Whenever you become a follower of God, you jump into the pool and you experience what it means to swim and to do life with Jesus. This knowledge that Paul is talking about is an experiential knowledge of sitting at the feet of Jesus and walking with him, doing life with him, eating with him, going to the movies with him, everything that you're doing, right? Because everything now, because the Spirit of God has taken residence with inside of us, is worship. Jesus, wherever we're going, we're now experiencing and following and immersed in Jesus. And so Paul is saying, all those other things that I've been doing for behavior modification to prove that I'm worthy is now I'm telling you it's worthless because I've jumped into the deep end with Jesus and I've done life with him and I see life and the purpose and value of life radically different than I did before. And the only way that I can do that is because I've experienced life with Jesus. Again, imitate me as I imitate Jesus. And Paul is telling us, he says, I want you to jump in the deep end and know Jesus like I do. That your breath, your pattern of breathing is the same pattern of breathing as Jesus. That that's the intimacy. That whenever you're in a situation that Jesus isn't with you, that your blood pressure raises or your blood pressure lowers. That that's, the, that's the kind of intimate knowledge that Paul is describing. There's really no word that we have in English language to grasp it. That he wants us to become one. It's this covenant language. When a husband and wife get married, they become one. There's a covenant relationship. And there's this mingling of the souls that happen when a man and a woman become one. Okay, And so Paul is describing that. He's saying, listen, I want you to experience the mingling of souls that happens when a man and woman become one, even on a deeper level with Jesus. I want you to know him that well. So for all of that, I, for his sake, I've discarded everything else and counted it as garbage. This is actually a bad word. We say doo-doo. But he says another word, and he wants you to understand, listen, this is how serious I am. All of my degrees... All of my education, all of the different things that I've attained, all the things that I've got, all of the things that the religious people said that I had to have to prove that I'm worthy of God, it is dung. Paul says, compared to being immersed in Jesus. That's his call for us. Everything else is worthless and dung compared to to knowing Jesus. Verse 9, last thing. And become one with him. Again, that covenant language. I no longer count my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. This is the whole thing about this whole series is that for us to understand that we can be religious, we can clean up for church, we can even do things for God, but if we do not have our complete faith and confidence upon what Jesus did on the cross for us, it is worthless. You're attending church, you're part of a social club, but you are not being transformed by the presence of Christ within inside of you. And Paul says all of those other things are like dung 
to compare to knowing Jesus. And he's saying, listen, I am in the swimming pool with you and with Jesus. We're swimming. Jump in with me and experience it. Jump into the covenant and know, have an intimate knowing of Jesus and see what it's like. Eat where he eats. Talk where he talks. Do the things that he does. Do life as Jesus does in your life, the way that you think, the way that you care, the way that you love, the things of purpose will radically change when you immerse your life in Jesus Christ. Paul says, listen, I have a past, and all of us have a past. Paul talks about his present. He talks about his hopes for the future and his one plea for us. And for his church in Philippi is to watch him and to imitate him as he pursues Jesus. And that's his plea for us. That as followers of Jesus, that we see what Christ did on the cross for us, that we count it and we're amazed by it. And we say, I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this Jesus thing. But immerse yourself. Don't just tap your toe in it. That's what a lot of us do. We tap. It's like, ooh, that's cool. Camp. Ooh. <laughs> we don't jump in. So that even when life gives you its own crap, you can stand in the middle of it. Say, I rejoice. Not because of this, not because of all this, but because of who he is. Can I make that my plea for us? Is that we don't just tap our toes into the pool, but we jump into the deep end and say, I've got nothing else. I'm going to try this and just swim and watch Jesus come alongside and swim with you and teach you how to swim, no matter how high the waves or how low, to just swim with him. Be immersed in Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your son. Thank you that you have given us the opportunity to have new life through him. I pray for each one of us in this room. It's easy for us to just check off boxes. I pray that we would quit doing that. We would quit tapping our toes into the water, but that we would jump full in, knowing that we don't even know how to swim, but having full confidence in you and who you are. And knowing that you've got us. You've never lied to us. You're not going to lie to us now. To just jump in. And to experience what it means to have life. Life to the full. And to know what it means to have faith. That we just we jump in. And to not even fully understand what we're jumping into. Or why we're jumping in. But we know that we can't keep doing life. The way we've been doing it. And not that our life's going to be perfect. But at least we know that you will be there with us. For you the same yesterday, today, and forever. You will not forsake us. You will not leave us. It says your children, you love us. Romans 8.28, you are working out even the craziest of things and moments in our life for our good as we love you. And you are weaving together the masterpiece of our lives. Where you've reached down and you've reached out in covenant and established that with us and will not break it. Father, we love you for that. 
It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.